Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Common Ground Radio with your host CJ Walk from Mafka is up next. Good morning and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture here in the state of Maine brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is C.J. Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. right here on WERU. The topic for today's show is homesteading here in Maine. Homesteading is typically viewed as a model of self-sufficiency, where homesteaders look to produce, create, or harness most of all, most or all of the items or processes that are part of their daily lives. Typically, homesteaders are thought of people who live off the land and grow most of their own food, but it goes a lot further than food, where homesteaders are also producing their own heat, energy, shelter, and even community. Homesteading can also be a political act. It's not just a lifestyle, it is a statement. It's a way of focusing on what is truly important and necessary in our lives. Um, so for today's show, I have three guests with me here in the studio today, and I'd like to introduce uh, each of them. We have, uh, sitting to my side here, we have Dave Muzzy from Winter Past Gardens in Stockton Springs. Hi. So Dave, thanks for being here today. And also with him is Franny Doonan uh, from Stockton Springs and Winter Past Gardens. So Franny, Hello. thank you. And then we have Karina Shorten from Union from Union who has Sweet Haven Farm there, and Karina, thank you for being here today. Hi. And for talking about homesteading. Um, But I think to start, uh, I'll come just back around and ask you kind of to introduce yourselves. Um, And Franny and Dave, since you're here together, uh, maybe Franny, I'll ask you just to give a brief kind of introduction to yourselves, and, and Dave, you can as well. Hi, I'm Fran, and we have a small farm in Stockton Springs, Maine. We have a small CSA. We raise most all of our veggies. We have an orchard and berries and chickens and all that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's pretty that, much that's a good intro. That's a good intro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then, Karina, I'll give, give you a, a moment to kind of introduce yourself. Sure. Um, I have what I guess would call a micro farm, (laughs) a very small farm in Union. um, And we are at this point um, vegetable, produce and fruit self-sufficient for the entire year. Um, And we also produce and butcher all our own poultry um, and are working on being protein and meat self-sufficient as well. Um, We... uh, sell a cut flower CSA. So the financial part of my farm comes from flowers and cut flowers, which is my true love. So, Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, all right. So I guess to start off, I think we just kind of 
maybe talk a little bit about history over time. Um, and I think I would kind of look to, to Fran and Dave uh, maybe to start um, the more experienced guests in the room, I would say. But I would guess uh, I could ask you guys and you can decide who answers which questions. But in terms of um, maybe when you started homesteading and what got you into it. Well, I started gardening <coughs> back in the 70s. So mm-hmm. this was a long time ago. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a homesteader back then, but I was already interested in heating with wood and growing vegetables and that kind of thing. And it, it went on that way for several decades. Um, when I met Fran, we sort of um, increased it some, I'd say, and had bigger gardens and more ambitious projects. Uh, and then when we moved to Stockton Springs six years ago, we bought an old uh, farmstead, 1845 farmhouse, and um, that was um, really got us going to a new level. That's when we started doing our CSA, and it really um, um, we got more involved in it then. Okay, okay. And would you like to add a bit to that? Um, just I've always been passionate about gardening, even as a child. Uh huh. And have always done it and love it. Okay. All right. And were you together at that time? I don't want to get too personal. Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. We hooked up and got married in 1990, and we both came with already homesteading. Okay. So it was a good match. Okay. Great. Great. Um, and Karina, for you, kind of when was your, your beginning or your starting out phase for homesteading? Well, I was... Um, I was raised on sort of a small farm um, where we did something similar to what I'm doing now. So I guess my love and my background and experience was really instilled at that early age. I'm pretty lucky. Um, Then I kind of went away from it for a long time. Um, I worked professionally actually in technical theater for most of my life. And uh, for a whole variety of reasons, my husband and I ended up in mid-coast Maine um, and bought our little farm only two and a half years ago. Um, So this particular process on this particular property has been a really recent development for us, um, which has been really fantastic. Um, I come with quite a lot of farming and gardening knowledge. Um, My husband, zero. Um, um, But he's extremely handy and um, takes care of all the building Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, aspects of our farm, so we we make a good team that way. Okay, great. Yeah. So a good complement of uh, of skills. It seems like on the homestead. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Definitely. Yes. Sure. Okay. You have to be a team. You have to be a team. Yep. Yes. There's a lot to a lot to accomplish over the course of of the day and of the years. Yes. Um. Okay. All right. Uh, can you put the headphones on? Sure. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, all right, we're just adjusting some microphones here in the studio, so I apologize for a little bit of, uh, of delay here. Um, but in terms of uh, what you do on your farms, I'm curious kind of what um, a little bit more kind of what maybe drove you towards those decisions. Um, and we don't have to get too personal or as comfortable as you would want to be. Um, but I'm curious, uh, maybe Dave, I would start with you if, um, 
if kind of growing up, it was something that was part of your childhood, or is it something that you came to somewhere later in life? So, uh, there was part of my childhood, not from uh, where I grew up exactly, but I had an aunt in Minnesota who loved uh, growing a large garden. She kept bees. Um, she uh, was an avid hunter and fisherwoman, and she just did a lot of things that I really admired when I was a kid. And it, it really, that's what got me, put the seed in me, was seeing someone, a relative who was doing it. And uh, that, you know, eventually I got the chance to come back to that and, and create my own version of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And Fran, for you? Yeah, I, I think I came into the world of love of nature yep. and a need to grow things and see how things worked. As a child, we had a family uh, plot of, mm-hmm. for vegetables, but it was more for food than the fun of it and i started at a very young age having my own gardens yeah and doing that anything outside always enriched me and made me feel good mm-hmm. and so that just kind of grew over time it's just yeah it seems right yeah. okay and karina for you um like i was saying i'm pretty fortunate to have been raised um by a mother who kind of shared the similar values i mean i'm, I'm from massachusetts and um she discovered the Common Ground Fair when I was four years old, and we would drive six hours every single year from Massachusetts to the fair, and I have, you know, a fair family who's known me since I was four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very much a part of the value system that I grew up with. Um, and so I think ever since I knew that you had to live somewhere someday, um, you know, living in Maine and having a farm is always sort of been a dream of mine, even when I was busy working in the city, working in New York City, off-Broadway, you know, doing all this fancy theater or whatever, it's always been, it's always been in the back of my mind. And mm-hmm. um, my husband and I moved all over the country in it for theater, and it, it was never quite right. And uh, we decided that we wanted to live, wanted to, we wanted to work where we live and not the other way around. So we said, you know what, if we're living in the right place, and we are in the right place, everything else will just kind of work itself out. And it kind of has. So, uh. Great. Yeah, seems like a good transition over time. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, so in terms of locations, I guess I would just ask as well as part of, um, of where you guys are, where you folks are, if uh, just ask a little bit about the property, if it's land that had been farmland for a while or land that you'd been yeah, transitioning? Our, we bought a broken down old farmhouse that was built in 1845 mm-hmm. and wow. it had not been farmed or cared for in any way for many, 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 many years. There was nothing. It was all brush and scrub and no gardens, no anything except a few half-dead apple trees. <laughs> And it was perfect for us. (laughs) Like my daughter said, you've got a clean slate once again. So we started started putting in gardens. My passion doesn't stop. I keep thinking it should. I'm 74, but it doesn't. So we have about an acre and a half in production of stuff. We have chickens. We have an orchard. We have berries. We just put in... I don't know, 20. We have a total now of 20 high bush blueberries. Mm-hmm. We have fiddleheads, which we put in ourselves, and oh, they really? took, and they're doing really well. The biggest asparagus bed. 
mm-hmm. rhubarb, the usual kinds of things. And we've been there for six years, and this has all come about, and it's all totally organic. Yeah. We've put up a greenhouse and a solar woodshed, and just this year we put up three 15-foot hoop houses. Oh, wow. Which is cool. Yeah. So, And we sell flowers, herbs, and veggies. Mm-hmm. And... My passion is to educate other people that organic works, and it's real easy to compare our garden to the to others that are not organic and say, "See the difference? That's what uh-huh. that's what happens here." We love children and love teaching, and our house is always filled with them. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. And Karina, how about you for the land that you guys, you and your husband, had found? Um, well, my house is also always filled with children because I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, so I'm very lucky that the property that we ended up purchasing had already been being utilized by a MOFCA member. Um, and they had huge organic gardens there. Um, and it's just a coincidence. I just love the house and I love the property. I didn't know their history, their background, their connection to MOFCA when I purchased the place. Um, so they had a huge garden, um, which I have since expanded, and two apple trees and two pear trees, which are very established and beautiful, and it's just the right size. I have no season extension. Um, I would love to. It's on my to-do list, but I have no season extension. Um, but it's exactly the right amount of space for us. Um, so my actual space that's devoted to vegetables, actually vegetable production, is only not even 50 by 100. Mm-hmm. And that has been enough for us to, for the entire year. Um, I do have some highbush blueberries, um, a lot of blackberries, and we're just getting perennial things like asparagus and strawberries, etc. established as well. But um, the soil was beautiful when we moved in. I'm really lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, a good foundation for starting. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. We also lucked out with good soil because ours had been a farm from the beginning in 1845, and the place we lived in before had the worst soil I've ever had. Uh, we it was all fractured shale with about a half inch of really poor topsoil in front on top of it. So we had to buy in topsoil and compost and all that. Oh when we got to this place, I mean, we did buy compost, but it was um, it was really wonderful to bring back an old place that used to be a farm, and we could feel the energy of it that you, you could just feel that it was, uh, uh, there's good good energy there from previous occupants, mm-hmm. and we were able to bring that back and build upon it. Nice, nice. And in terms of location, I'm just curious, um, is it kind of... Off, off in the woods or on a main main road? We're uh, on Cape Jellison on Stockton Springs. Oh, okay. So we're not right on the water, but the Cape is like a circle with yeah. water all around it. Mm-hmm. And the house is not set way back, which I would have thought I would need. Mm-hmm. But actually, I love it. And the gardens are all in back and around the sides. So yeah. it works really well. It's the nicest community I've ever, ever lived in. Oh, Real okay. nice diversity and... Very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And location for you, Karina? Um, we're set fairly back from the road. We have a pretty long driveway. Um, we're on top of a hill, so we have um, a really great view, beautiful field in front of us, sort of hills off in the distance, beautiful, idealistic view, um, idyllic, rather. 
but we do have a really great windbreak on the other three sides, so we're not really exposed, which I think makes a huge difference. If I was on top of that hill uh, with no windbreak, <clears throat> I would have a lot harder time than mm-hmm. I do. So I don't have too much um, concern about wind, wind damage, wind setbacks. Um, and that also provides us just enough space to um, to not be able to see our neighbors, which I love, but to be able to provide our own, you know, firewood, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we, we do have woods right, right around us. Okay. All right. And part of the reason I asked was because um, you both had mentioned some uh, cut flower CSAs yeah. and selling some other products. So I was curious if it was more of like an open farm stand situation or deliveries to different to places. We've actually done all of the above. Um, we have a CSA, and we did peddling uh-huh. for for one summer. Well, maybe two summers. And that was kind of fun. People were pretty excited about the fact that, you know, you're knocking on their door, and they come out, and the flowers were the most popular because it'd be men that forgot a birthday or whatever. <laughs> oh, my God, you have flowers. That's so wonderful. And um, just word of mouth. We're involved in other things in the community. Mm-hmm. We have a farm stand mm-hmm. in the CSA. Okay. And Peter, um, yeah, I should also mention that we're we're uh, have a brilliant southern exposure. Yeah, a really fantastic southern exposure. Um, as far as I, I do deliveries for my CSA okay. for the most part um, to sort of Rockland and Camden area. Um, this year I might do a farm pickup, um, but you know flowers are so perishable. That's one of the main the main problems with that as a mm-hmm. sellable product. I don't do farmers markets for that reason. Um, yeah, highly perishable. Um, so word of mouth, and then also and I've done some minimal advertising. Um, I'm gonna hopefully I have plans to do things with a lot of the Camden B and Bs this year. I have a okay. um, and I'm also doing some small events. Um, if anybody knows the Camden International Film Festival, yeah. um, I did all the flowers for their um, receptions last year and uh, looking to do more of that because it's a really great guaranteed thing, which is why I chose to do to do the CSA as opposed to, for example, farmer's markets. I know how much I have to cut every week. Mm-hmm. I'm not wasting product. Um, and it's just for such a perishable product, for me, it was the kind of the only way to go. Yeah. Get it out there quickly. Yeah, and just know how much how much I need, mm-hmm. how much I need to plant, um, how much I need to cut. Okay. So. All right. Great. Um, I guess my next question we get from location and then housing and all that stuff and thinking just a bit, um, what about on energy use in terms of electricity or heating? Um, we have, how do you manage we that? We heat with wood. Yeah. And we cook with wood. Yeah. And in the winter, we shut. We have a furnace for backup. We shut the hot water off of that and have a tank on the wood stove. Mm-hmm. And this summer, one of our projects is to put up an outdoor shower so that we don't have to have hot water from the house. Mm-hmm. Our house is well insulated. We had it all well insulated. That works really well. We have solar greenhouses. We have a lot of solar gain because the house, the main part of the house faces south. Mm-hmm. That works really well. Another project that we did that I'm, I was, I'm really excited about and I think a lot of people could, could uh, benefit from is we've always stacked our wood outside, our firewood outside, and figured out various ways to keep it dry. But um, we, when we first moved there, we put up a greenhouse for our, our starts, and then we realized we knew how to make a greenhouse, so we decided to make a greenhouse for curing our firewood. So we did that, and um, 
And I, I think I saw that in Northern Woodlands Magazine that gave us the idea. So we put up a greenhouse and we store five cord of firewood in it, and we're able to buy, get our, we buy and cut some of our firewood, but and get in, in the spring and get it stacked right away. And it sits in the greenhouse and cures all summer. It's ready to go in the fall. I, I love not having to stack the wood a couple of times and, and keep moving it and moving it and hoping it's dry. It's always dry in the fall. Mm-hmm. It's great. Seems like a good, an efficient system. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're cooking with wood, I imagine. Right. You don't want smoldering. Yeah. No. <laughs> very fussy about my firewood. I, I read in an old book one time about if a man does not provide good, dry, hot wood... For the women, it's grounds for divorce. Oh. So Dave knows yeah. that. <laughs> That's why we put up the greenhouse for the firewood. <laughs> A little, little marriage security. <laughs> right. <laughs> he married me for that cook stove, he oh, said, yeah. so I don't yes. know. And health insurance. You had that too. <laughs> um, we also heat with wood. Yep. Um, and I also have a hot water tank uh, attached to the back of the wood stove, which is fantastic. I have amazing solar gain in my house mm-hmm. again i mean such huge kudos to the people who set this up for us i mean in the winter time we don't even light the wood stove during the day because it's it is hot in our house in the winter it's um mm-hmm. it's really just absolutely perfect for that so um solar is on our list um we have a very good friend who does that for a living so um off grid within a couple of years is sort of our our goal Okay. Um, for a whole host of variety of reasons, but um, that's really important to us. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> so, in terms of location and what's going on there, uh, another piece that we wanted to talk a little bit about or, or touch on was uh, some educational focus and being able to, um, if not share skills with other people or. Um, invite people to your homestead to be able to learn some of those skills, outreach to the public. Um, Fran and Dave, you had said that you have had some uh, woofers there. We've had apprentices and we've had woofers. Uh-huh. And is that a regular every year? Yeah, yeah, woofers for sure. Uh-huh. And um, this year we have a couple that lives, we have a small house in the back. Yep. And they live there. And when we need extra hands on the farm, we exchange it for rent decrease. Okay. So, and they're, they're, we've also got them passionate now about gardening and doing those kinds of things. So that's really, yeah, education's important to me, whether it's about teaching people how to use a wood stove correctly mm-hmm. or how to utilize your space in the garden so that you can farm intensively, which is really cool. Um, coming up on June the 23rd, I will be doing a demonstration on cooking on a wood stove. So if you don't know about Farm and Homestead Days at Mofka, it's the 23rd. It's free. They have a lot of different things going on. And if you come, just look up Franny. I'll be making bannock on the wood stove. Or just follow the wood smoke, probably. Right. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of other workshops besides, besides the one that Franny's doing. Last year, there were everything from sheep to shawl, uh, nature craft, wild crafting, uh, making birdhouses, treadle sewing, composting with worms, um, triangle loom weaving, all kinds of things having to do with homesteading. Okay. Wide variety. Seems like a, a, a solid educational event. Um, yes. Have you been involved in that event 
in recent years? Right. Um, Last year we did the demonstration and the okay. cooking things. And that was the first year of a demonstration that that, yeah. for you. Okay. Yeah, I also presented last year, and I, it's unconfirmed. I'm not quite sure, but um, I believe that I am teaching a water bath canning class there this year. Um, okay. I'm a huge food preserver, and that's something that I love. I love teaching about. I taught classes at Deerfoot Farm last year on water bath canning. Um, but Farm and Homestead Day is a fantastic opportunity it's free and i want to emphasize that it's free to the public and it's a really great community event it's so family friendly it's like a little mini common ground fair and it's almost better because it is you can do everything and you know your kids don't get exhausted and it's not so hot and it's just it's so community oriented at, you know, at, at noontime there's a potluck lunch that is just big and beautiful and it's like eating at the volunteer kitchen at the common ground, but you know, um, and it's a really wonderful, not only learning experience, just community experience, which is great, but it's also that's part of what homesteading is about. And so if you're able to go, I would really, really encourage you not just to go to the workshops that we're presenting, which are going to be awesome, um, but just to do any myriad of the number of different things that are there. Um, and come experience it. So okay. there you go. That's my. Yeah, I have one more thing about the educational component. If you have a skill that relates to sustainability or to homesteading, share it with your neighbors, with your friends. I we had a wonderful experience this past weekend. We had a couple young people come up from Boston who are just keep coming back, mm-hmm. and we had a woofer and we had some older friends over, and it was. A strong sense of community and I was just so touched I looked around and the kids were making a rhubarb something and somebody else was using something from the freezer and they were getting these veggies out and could they make bannock they'd never had bannock and so it's just it's wonderful to share what you have mm-hmm. in whatever capacity you have take that what is it a three minute thing when you get a chance to promote something promote it <laughs> Okay. I wanted to mention also, to clarify, uh, if you don't know what woofers are, woof <laughs> is uh, Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. That's the organization. And you can find it online. It's a, a .org uh, organization. And it provides uh, an opportunity to hook up people who want to learn about sustainable living and organic farming with people who could use some help like us. So that's how we get um, young people. Well, not always young people, different ages, but predominantly young people mm-hmm. coming to learn um, uh, stuff that they have they don't know yet. And it's been a great help to us, um, not only the work, but it's it's a great educational piece too. Great. Right. Um, well, let me just take a minute to remind our listeners that you are listening to Common Ground Radio. And today we're talking about homesteading in Maine. And my guests in the studio are Franny Doonan and Dave Muzzy from Winter Pass Gardens in Stockton Springs and Karina Shorten from Sweet Haven Farm in Union. Um, and we'll be looking to open up the phone lines in the next couple minutes here for anyone that might like to call in, uh, any listeners that might like to call in with a comment uh, or a question for any of our guests. And that toll-free call-in number is one 866 or one eight six 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 two five W E R U. But back to our conversation here, I'd like to continue a little bit on that community piece, um, just to try to dispel any notions that 
people may be hermits in the woods and not in, involved. Uh, maybe some do retreat to the woods, but um, Fran and Dave, you had mentioned that you're active in many other things within the community. So I'm just ask you about some of those other activities. Well, one of the things for, that doesn't directly, uh, it's not directly part of homesteading, but it's part of communities that we organize, a, we help organize a music event every month in Stockton Springs in the warm months. Mm-hmm. Um, third Wednesday of every month, there's an open mic for an hour and then a featured performer for an hour. And we've had really great people as both as performers and as, as open mic performers. Um, and it's a real community building event. Mm-hmm. We've, it's, it's grown, it's really taken off, and it's become... Um, just one of the signature events of our community. And is that a, a, is it an old Grange Hall that's there it, on Route it's 1? It's at the Sandy Point Community Hall on Route okay. 1, 684 U.S. Route 1. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's monthly activity? That's monthly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Karina, I wanted to ask you also, when we talked about a little bit about woofers, just come back a bit, and um, in terms of on the farm, are you just focused right now with you met your family? You mentioned a couple of young children. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have any woofers. Um, <laughs> um, our situation is somewhat unique. I maybe not, <laughs> um, but it's it's pretty special. Um, so we don't have any external help, um, and we actually have extremely limited time and resources. Um, I don't own a tractor. I don't own a rototiller. I own no power equipment. Um, I also work outside of my house three-quarter time Mm -hmm. um, and I have these two young kids. So the amount of time that I actually devote (laughs) to this during daylight hours is, you know, after I pick up the kids, I have an hour before dinner. And then after dinner, maybe I have an hour before it gets dark and the bugs don't eat me. Um, And so what we do, we do with very limited time and very limited resources on a fairly small amount of space. And I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and I take a lot of pride in that, actually. And, um, I mean, we work really, really hard, but it is it is doable. Um, and that's, I think, one of the big things that I like to let people know, you know, talk about the educational component, um, is how doable this is on whatever scale you want to do it. Um, I might overextend myself and kind of jump in the deep end, but it is, it is doable. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't even remember what your question was or if that answers the question, but there you go. <laughs> That's great because it brings up other questions in mind, I guess. Um, in terms of the educational side and sharing that information, I would wonder um, if someone was looking to maybe start out producing just a little bit more of their own food or a little more self-sufficiency, are there what seems to be like the introduction, what would be the first thing you would recommend from your Call Mofka. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously, they yeah. have all kinds of resources available to people. Okay. And whether you're a long-term farmer, we have questions we call right away. They're very helpful. Okay. Um, join a garden club. Yeah. Find out if there's a Mofka group in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, Find out who the farmers are, support them, and they can help you out with ideas and thoughts and get you started. Okay. We are so blessed to have Mofka as a resource. We All the time we are going onto the Mofka website looking for information about, okay, what's this bug and what's the organic control for <laughs> it or what do we do about this problem? It's so, so helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I didn't prime you to say that. About no. You no, said not that at all. That's right. The You're extension saying, is good as well, the extension office. Yes. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You're saying, you know, you go to utilize other farmers as well. Like, for example, we have a fantastic local farmers market in Union um, every week. And it's a real community there. And I've uh, my local farming and homesteading community is primarily people that I've met that I've met there, mm-hmm. you know, and they're so supportive and they're so great. And pretty much everybody there is, you know, if not certified organic, they are they are organic. Um and there are great resources. Also, I mean, there's a lot of great reading resources as well. Um, if you're like me and have very little space, <laughs> um, for example, a really great one is called um, Self-Sufficiency on a Quarter Acre. There might be other bits and pieces of the title, but that's a really great book. And he talks about how to be produce self-sufficient on a quarter an acre. And mm-hmm. he really encourages people to think about things in a different way. And what does that mean? You know, the American diet consists of so many things that need to be purchased in, whereas if you realign your diet to the things that you're able to produce, you're that much closer, you know, to mm-hmm. to being self-sufficient or to to cre- producing a larger percentage. And he breaks things down in a very mathematical, um, you know, almost business-like way that's really fantastic and straightforward, um, especially for people who just need kind of a, a jump start if they're beginning anyway. There's tons of great resources out there. <laughs> okay. And then in terms of, um, I think, the food production, we think this time of year we're getting into lots of work to do, I'm sure, but um, also fresh things coming in. But when we think about getting into the fall or uh, preservation, I'm curious about your different ways of preservation, maybe canning or drying or freezing. Um, Frank, could I ask you to Yeah, we can. We dry. We freeze. We have a root cellar, and we eat fresh. Mm-hmm. And um, we just ran out of potatoes and carrots from last year. And we still have yeah. onions uh-huh. and garlic. So that's pretty amazing that the fresh can last a long time. And when you were talking about, about the farmer's market, I was thinking, if you can't garden and you want to can or freeze, buy it at the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And then take it home and start on a small scale doing a small amount for yourself. Mm-hmm. Just That's to learn right. those those to skills. To learn those skills. And actually, you were saying what time of year. But it starts pretty early. It mm-hmm. starts pretty early. It's a continuous thing. As different produce comes in, that's when we deal with it. Yeah. Once things are ripe and in season. Right. Like now you can can rhubarb sauce or you can freeze fresh rhubarb. And, you know, a lot of the fiddleheads, you can freeze them ahead mm-hmm. and get them. They're delicious frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different steps. Like, People will say, well, when are you going to be doing? And I'm saying, well, it's pretty consistent throughout the summer and fall. Fall is the busiest yeah, because you're putting up huge amounts, or we are anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're yeah. going to be busier in the fall than we are now? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the burden the burden of work, the, the focus of the work shifts right. anyway at our house. But I'm really excited about food preservation. It's something that I'm really passionate about. Like I said, that's one of the things that I like to, to teach Uh, people about um i do a lot of canning and a lot of freezing and people think of canning as like grandma's old mushy green beans right but we have so many other options now for not only for canning but for other food preservation methods that you know it's it's not this like antiquated science where your food has to be icky and mushy you know it's wonderful and colorful and and fresh and crisp um even from a can. <laughs> so I have two freezers um, and more, you know, 
constantly building more shelves for my canning stuff. Yeah. But because I have, you know, because I have my two young kids, I typically can after they go to sleep. Yeah. So I put them to bed, which, you know, they don't always like to do. So I often do my canning starting at 9 or 10 at night. And I can from, ni- from 9 or 10 at night until midnight, yeah. sometimes seven days a week. Um, or, you know, freeze. If I'm just going to freeze one thing every day. Because if I let it pile up, I don't have a large enough chunk of time to sit down and can or freeze for the entire day. Yeah. I don't have an entire day. I have to do a little bit every single day, um, a couple hours every single day. And that's all it took. That's what was so cool, you know? <laughs> um, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. We, we uh, do some food drying, as Fran said, all the <laughs> Can I mention a commercial brand of food dryer? Is that legal? I'm not tied to the company at all, but I, I can't do it. Okay, I won't do it. Anyway, if you get <laughs> there yourself are a, some good ones there out there. There are some good there. ones out there that really make it easier. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. this isn't hanging above a wood stove, wood heat. No, no, it's, no it's electric. I've done that, but yeah. okay. we actually electric. had a woofer that said, you need to get. And so I got for Christmas, yeah. and oh, man, it's wonderful. Stuff okay. is, looks so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure there are a lot of good ones out there. And what are some of the, can I ask some of the um, things that are getting dried? Might be easy to ask what isn't. Um, <laughs> so po- yeah, potatoes, carrots, onions, garlic, okay. all kinds of fruit, yeah, corn. Fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how are they packaged after they're dried? Sometimes just in Ziplocs, sometimes in jars, yeah. whatever we happen to, okay. whatever the airtight. space works, something airtight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else? Squash. Yeah. I mean, and almost herbs, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because we grow herbs, so we dry our herbs, yeah. too, mm-hmm. yeah. which okay. is nice. But, All right. um, Fruit, yeah, blueberries, they're great. So whatever works whatever works for the preservation piece. Yes. Well, it's nice um, to have stuff dried. Okay. Well, it looks like we have a caller. We have uh, Lawton, I think it is, from Penobscot. If you'd like to go ahead with your comment or question. It makes my Do, heart feel oh. good, you know, here in this and it is all about community building i was so fortunate i mean my neighbors are the entire birdsall clan uh but polly and molly and paul birdsall paul is 90 still kicking still driving horses around um and their sons nat and andy were you know a little bit younger than me but we're all on the edge of becoming senior citizens (laughs) joe barrett dennis gang (laughs) helen nearing she told me to build my house out of stone, but I, I told her I was having a hard enough time building it out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is about community. Mm. And the only thing I would say to all young men out there that are thinking about farming, do not go out and buy the brand-new monster tractor or truck. Uh, start small. You know, start with a little greenhouse, maybe a short goat or something. Fight that. I think if you have a, a partner... Uh, most women farmers are a lot smarter about how to kind of lay things out. I, <laughs> I have to say that. I, I'm sorry, men, but it's true. <laughs> it looks like our guests agree with you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I won't argue with that. <laughs> so I just really appreciate it. You know, try to keep your overhead low. And uh, But it is about, you know, Mafka, the county extensions, uh, your local Grange Hall, you know, uh, the co-ops. You know, wow. I'm in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Okay, thank you for calling in, Lawton. We appreciate it. 
Um, and if there's anyone else I would call in with a comment or question, the number is one 625 9378 And this is Common Ground Radio, and today we're talking about homesteading in Maine. Um, so I guess <clears throat> Lawton just brought up an interesting question about or equipment. Uh, we've talked a bit about who's involved in doing what, and um, I guess, Karina, could I ask you, you already mentioned... You're doing a lot of things by hand. I got nothing. <laughs> just some hand tools. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the short answer is I just don't have the capital to invest in anything. I mean, anything. I know a rototiller isn't very cheap, but part of it, I choose not to use a rototiller because I just don't want to be tilling my land. That's my own yep. cultivation um, preference. But I can't afford it. Yeah. And um, it's still possible. <laughs> um you know, there are some hand tools that I would love that would make things a little bit easier, um, a.k.a. Elliot Coleman, you know, some of the stuff that he talks about. But um, I have an easy digger, a pitchfork, and a shovel. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> it looks like we have another caller. We have Matt from Warren that's on the line. So, Matt, if you'd like to go ahead with your uh, comment or question. Yeah, does anybody have any experience canning fish? I was wondering these... Uh we have a wonderful alwai friend here, and we can buy some local smoked alwais, but they're easy to get a handful of. And I uh, was wondering about canning groundfish, like a halibut or codfish or something like that. So I'll take my answer off the air. What a great, great radio station this is and a good program. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matt. Um, anyone experience with canning fish? I've never canned fish, but we do freeze it. Yep. Yeah, I would, I would well. freeze it just... Pers- from a personal preference for a, a texture perspective um, and just you know it is, it is a very low acid food so you would re- you would need to pressure can it um, and it's uh, because it is such a low acid thing you'd you'd really need to know how to pressure can in order I feel like to feel safe actually eating a canned fish so from ease of from ease of preparation and from a texture perspective I would just freeze it um, but the Ag Extension does offer a lot of information on canning as well, um, and they occasionally um, even offer classes, so they might be a great resource to call. Okay. All right. I'm sure you can dry fish. I've, I've yeah. never dried it. I don't know what you would have to do. I, years ago, I used to smoke fish and mm-hmm. keep it that way, and that was, that was great, mm-hmm. but I haven't done that in many years. Okay. All right. Back to equipment. We do not have a tractor. We do have a tiller. Yep. And we're opening up new spaces and whatever. It's very helpful for us. But our tools are all hand tools. Okay. Except so just for a, a lot of A lot of uh, hand tools and, and back work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, for me, I have to put fun in the day. I can't just do something really hard and tedious. I have to stop and do something fun, take time to pick the flowers, go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just farming or just doing it, it's work. And yeah. if you're doing it because you love it and you mix it up and you take the time. The other day we were watching chickens. We, the kids had made a, a watermelon basket. You know how you carve them out, and I taught them how to do that. And so we brought it out to the chickens with stuff in it, we, yogurt or something, I think we put in it. And we must have stood and watched them eat out of that basket for about a half an hour. <laughs> we should have been working, probably, yeah, but, but it was some, wonderful. Adding yeah. some joy to the day. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we have another caller. We have Catherine from Appleton on the line, if you'd like to go ahead with your comment or question. 
Yes, I would. Hi, Fran. Hi, Dave. Hi. And Hi. I'm sorry I didn't get the other woman's name. Her name is Karina. Hi, Karina. Um, and your friend and Dave I have met, and I love them, and I can't wait to come by your farm. And you're on, you're right there on the Grady, Great Penobscot. Right. Beautiful yes. area. Yes. Beautiful. So how do you all feel about fermentation? Because I, I think that's a great way to go. I feel good about it, but I don't do it. <laughs> yeah. We barter and trade for things. <laughs> you don't ferment your, no. your, your food? No. We pickle things, but not. Yeah. Not. I've yeah. been a big failure at trying to make fermented things, cabbage. I'm, I don't know why. I've never been successful. Well, because I, 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 to me, it's been very easy. Well, good. I need somebody to help me. <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, Seymour Katz, you know, has done quite a few. Um, well, I don't know about quite a few, but he's been up at the um, Common Ground Fair a few years, and I don't know if he's coming this year. But that's a, and you can go on YouTube and and watch his um, presentations. It's pretty darn easy. Mm. It just involves, you know, sea salt and water. And a good jar. <laughs> anyway, that's all I had to say. <laughs> I think Karina wanted to add something. Yeah, well. I have done a small amount, and I've actually taken his workshop at Mofka, and I've done a small amount, but um, for me, a lot of the stuff isn't long-term storage shelf-stable enough. For example, if you were going to do sauerkraut um, and you wanted to can it, it loses any of its live and active culture, so it, it's, it just completely negates the purpose of um, having a fermented food. Um, so you don't want to actually put it in a can or in can. I mean, you can. It will stay shelf-stable, but, you know, you lose the live activeness of it. Um, so for me, it's more of a fresh, you know, it's a thing to eat fresh as opposed to long-term storage. So it is it is a um, food preservation technique, but not one that I utilize super often. Okay, so more short, short-term and the beneficials of that fermentation process rather than yeah, exactly. storing all winter long. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for your call, Catherine. And again, I'll give out the number. We've had a few calls. The number to call in is one 625 9378 And we're talking about homesteading here on Common Ground Radio. Um, so I guess uh, moving forward, how about any plans for the future? I'll look around um, in terms of, you know, anything you that you're planning to do uh, moving forward or do you feel like the homestead is at kind of a stable level? It probably is at a stable level, level but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I, every year I say, okay, okay, we have enough. And then I'll say, oh, can't we just get a dozen blueberries? That's all I want. <laughs> um, but the shower is in the future and we have a spring out and back that we want to clean out and make that a, oh, okay. a usable space on the farm. Okay. All right. So for water now, are you you're running off of a drilled or a drill well? Right. I guess. Okay. Right. It's a nice deep well, and okay. boy, it's been dry. Oh. Yeah. Scary. This year so far. Awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, Karina, for you, plans moving forward? I know we kind of mentioned some things. Yeah. So. I mean, for us personally, um, we would love to work on getting off grid, mm-hmm. um, and probably expanding a little bit. Um, I would love to just be able to expand enough to monetize my space a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not um, it turned into a long-term stay-at-home thing, um, for me, I'm not sure. That's something I grapple with personally every single day. Um, so, but, you know, we need, to, we need to develop slowly 
just, yeah. you know. Yeah. And would that be a recommendation for someone looking to be a little more self-sufficient, step-by-step? Absolutely. Get some of the educational pieces. Yeah. From my perspective, too, if you take your time and do it right the first time, you save yourself a lot of time and energy and money in the long term instead of rushing into projects because they sound like a really, really great idea. And then either it's not as effective or as efficient or as productive as it could be, um, you know, if you just take a little bit more time and Mm -hmm. slow and steady wins the race, I guess, from my perspective. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then in terms of kind of the off-farm stuff, you, Karina, you had mentioned that you work off the farm yeah. a, a good, a good yeah. deal. But when, before the show with, uh, with Fran and Dave, you were mentioning that you have some other activities I thought you might like to mention. Um, we're both musicians, and we play out quite a bit. And every year we do between 80 and 100 gigs at nursing homes and retirement homes and hospitals and rehab units. Oh. That's sort of our contribution to... Okay. Doing something nice. Yeah. Um, and I make brown ash baskets. Yeah. And Dave makes wood canvas canoes. Yeah, so sometimes <laughs> those things are more a bigger part of our life, sometimes less. Depend. They're all both, you know, they're all self-employed things, and they come and go, or they peak, they rise and fall, depending on what the demand is and how busy we are with other things. But, but okay. yeah, there's always something else going on. All right. Well, it looks like we have Catherine from Appleton back on the line. Yes, yes. Um I am observing, like, perhaps our fifth year of drought coming on, mm. and um, I'm, I'm a keen observer, and I've been gardening for years, although I've kind of, even, Fran, you and I are the same age, but I don't think I have your energy anymore. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm wondering if you have some tips. I know it's it's always the soil and what's in it, but um, I'm, I'm looking at things that I don't even want to plant because I know I'm going to be a slave to watering this year, and I just really don't. So do you have any tips? I'm going to get off the phone and listen. Okay. Well, okay. Our, our philosophy basically is don't water unless you have to initially because then the roots get surface, and then they need water all the time. But the drought has it's been really hard on us, really hard, because you don't want to overwater. And we can mulch only a certain amount because we have these little snails that love it and come in by the thousands and destroy the plants. Mm. So it's a balance of when you can mulch and when you can't, when to use ground cover and all of those kinds of things. We found there's a lot a lot of new um, invasive plants that are coming into the garden that I've never seen the last couple of years. And there's a, cha- a change in the bugs and those kinds of things. And dealing with that, I think, is related to the drought, or at least some of it is. And um, we keep trying and experimenting. We had a lot of that um, mold that you get on squash and stuff. And yeah. I decided, ha, I want to try cider vinegar with water. And it actually worked. And usually we don't get that till September or something, but it was early last year. Mm-hmm. And the cider vinegar and water actually did, did help. So reach out, find out who's got some ideas. And yeah. mm-hmm. even though it's organic, we try to minimize, totally minimize any use of anything on the stuff. Okay. Also research um, more drought-tolerant varieties of things as well. There are certain varieties that need more water than others. Um, I don't have a snail problem, so I mulch. <laughs> yeah. um, and because I have so many flowers, a lot of flowers really do need water. Um, and so what I tend, what I do is I actually put drip line down when I plant, and then I cover that so that that water is not evaporating um, when I do need to when I do need to water. So I 
mulch, mulch, mulch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big things yeah. I do. I can mention one specific crop. We grow potatoes, as many people do, and our standby storage variety has always been Yukon Gold. Last year, with the drought, Yukon Gold did lousy. It were tiny, small potatoes. Um, fortunately, we had another variety called Elba, and that did very well in spite of the drought. And yeah. so we've incorporated a higher percentage of Elba into our potatoes this year. Okay. And we, we utilize quite a bit of rainwater catchment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm lucky that we're on a slight slope. So one of the things that we've started instituting but are going to do more of is an actual gravi- gravity feed for our watering um, using rainwater catchment. Mm-hmm. Okay. which we've had pretty much none of so far this year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I guess that brings up another question for me in terms of um, inputs to the homestead and to the garden in terms of uh, fertility or other pieces of um, kind of that infrastructure. And I'm curious if you bring in compost. I'll look to you, Karina, first to say compost, for example. Do you purchase some? Do you make your own? Um, Finding your mulch, what do you use for mulch? That type of stuff. Um, oh, I'm lucky that I have a few friends who have uh, larger lar- livestock that I've been able to, like sheep um, primarily, that I've been able to get manure from. I mean, I have tons of chickens and I utilize that in my compost as well. Um, but just sort of to, to jumpstart, you know, because we're not established, my compost pile isn't quite in its rotation cycle yet. Um, so I have some compost and then I have some brought in some additional manure um but the goal is to get everything that we need right from where we are you know once once our cycle starts you know sort of self-perpetuating as it were okay and fran and dave for you well we we buy some organic compost and we also have three bins going all the time so we utilize our own yeah um because we're on the coast we use seaweed yeah Mm -hmm. um we use all our grass clippings um, yeah. Almost any leaves we get leaves from friends and for ourselves, and so it's leaves a variety of it's yeah. anything we can get our hands on that we know is organic. Okay, anything that's not nailed down, you know, <laughs> <laughs> anything that has a little carbon in yeah, it, right? <laughs> a little nitrogen. We just got free hardwood wood chips for our orchard, which was very exciting. Mm. Oh, let's are, talk. Let's talk. Those are rare, um, and I guess I just wanted to ask. For Fran and Dave, um, do you have any animals or livestock as part of your homestead? Yeah, we have 10 chickens, okay. just just for our own use for eggs, and we sell eggs also. Okay. Yep. All right. Great. Um, well, we're getting down into just the last few minutes of the show, um, and I wanted to, since we've talked about a few different educational resources today, I thought I would, um, I just wanted to make sure that listeners could kind of hear some of those again. So we had mentioned... The Farm and Homestead Day at MOFCA? Yep, that's June 23rd, and it's free, and there's all kinds of great workshops. You could find it online, and it'll show you what the workshops are. And if you come, you can not only watch me cook something, you might even hear me sing a song. (laughs) Great. And then we've also mentioned um, uh, the University Extension Service as well, so folks that are not familiar there, uh, there is a county office or an office in each county here in the state of Maine that would also be a great educational resource that um, our guests have mentioned. So as we're getting into the the last minute here, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Common Ground Radio today, um, where we were talking about homesteading in Maine. And I'd like to thank our guests, 
who came to the studio today. I know it's always a hard time of year to get people to leave the homestead and travel down the road a little bit to get to the station here in East Orland. Um, but thank you very much to Fran Doonan and Dave Muzzy of Winter Pass Gardens in Stockton Springs. Thank you for coming here today. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and to Karina Shorten of Sweet Haven Farm in Union. Thanks so much for making the ride. You get the, the, the furthest commute, or the further commute, I should say. Um, but again, I want to remind listeners that Common Ground Radio is brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, heard on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. And I'd like to thank Amy Brown for engineering today's show. And please stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond.